Hello and welcome to the Merseyways podcast, which today is coming from the rather stunning surroundings of the Grade 1 listed St George's Hall. When you think of the City Council, what services do you think of? Is it bins, potholes, traffic wardens? Some of you may not know that St George's Hall is a City Council owned and operated building. The hall is also home to 41 very busy people who work as part of the registrar's team. Last year, they dealt with 165,000 people, registered more than 8,000 births, married 1,600 couples, carried out 548 citizenship ceremonies and registered nearly 6,000 deaths. Not surprisingly, they cover a real spectrum of emotionally charged events, seeing people at their highest and their lowest. And at these times, there's a real focus on family and friendship. But what if someone reaches the end of their life and they have no one? In today's episode, we're going to be chatting to a couple of registrars about their job, but we're also going to speak to someone whose role it is to arrange public health funerals. These were once called paupers funerals and are arranged and paid for by the City Council and give a dignified departure to those who pass away without any next of kin, family or friends left behind. Hello all and welcome to Mersey Waves. Thank you for being part of this episode where we're talking about your roles and how you are involved in people's lives at really key moments, whether it's really happy or really sad. Pat, I'm going to start with you. You have been with the council for 38 years and nearly 34 of those in the registrar team. Yes. Tell us about your role. Tell us about what a registrar does and how has that changed during that time? Beyond recognition. I've actually been at every level in the registrar office from uh, deputy registrar, um, producing people's birth certificates, tracing their family trees, right through to the senior level that I'm at now, superintendent registrar, where I basically manage the service. Over those years, we've had the introduction of IT into the workplace, which has been massive. Um, however, we are one of the only services that still needs not only a computer, but also an ink pen to work, because that's the, one of the legal requirements, is things have to be signed in Registration Inc. Um, we've gone from the only place you can get married is St. Brome's Registry Office uh, or a church to any of the 50 plus venues we've got in the city centre, plus St. George's Hall, got fabulous uh, venues to get married in. Um, we've gone from being purely a statutory service that gives the public the service that they, that we think that they need to actually a responsive service. So we look for customer expectations, we try and fill those expectations because we actually now try and focus much more on the business element. So it's changed beyond recognition in the last 30 odd years. If I wanted to become registrar, what qualifications do I need? It's not so much about qualifications. Obviously you need the council's qualifications that, that, that are required to enter into the council. But it's more about being a people person. You have to be able to relate to people instantly. When someone is registering a death, they have the customer with them for about 30 minutes. And during that 30 minutes, from the actual minute one, that customer has to have full confidence in that member of staff. Takes them, lead them through a process and then forward them on, signpost them to the next person along. Same with a marriage. I go out to do a wedding. I've not necessarily met the couple before, 
but I get a very short space of time to build up that rapport, usually with the groom beforehand because the bride will be still getting ready or getting their hair done. Um, but I've got to get that instant rapport with them. I will lead them through their ceremony, I'll leave them to their celebrations and I'll move on to the next one. So it's, it's more about being a people person. Are you a people person, Ryan? You're a relative newbie to the role, aren't you, compared yeah. to... Um, I think I am. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, this was a very big change for me coming to this job. I've been here for about four years now. Uh, I've worked in laboratories and various other roles beforehand and, and just thought I wanted a change. And I um, saw this advertised, applied for it. I thought, yeah, I could do that. And it turns out I can. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I enjoy doing it. Um, What's your favourite part? People often say when you're registering deaths, say things like oh you must you know you don't do this all the time do you because you know, this must be really depressing and actually it's the deaths that are probably the thing i enjoy most mm-hmm. uh, it is like pat was saying it's that you build up a rapport with the person and you've you know you find out a lot of information don't you about people who are um, about their lives jobs that no longer exist because the person's 105 years old when they died and you know they worked in something that we just wouldn't ever think of having it's um yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great role, it's a great thing, registering deaths, as, as, as counterintuitive as that seems. And back that up, Clyde, back that up. Really? Yeah, from when I was a registrar. And the first time a little old lady or a little old man holds your hand as they're coming out of the office and says, thanks love, that wasn't as bad as I was expecting, mm-hmm. then that's yeah, it, you're yeah. sold on this job, that's it, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, pro- a proper compliment that as well. Yeah. That was that was much more painless than I thought. Yeah. Is is uh, is a lovely compliment. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, that's yeah. probably leads us quite nice to you then, Pam, because you provide a service where people don't have that support system. So like Pat and Ryan have got family and friends who come in and deal with you know to register, but you are dealing with a death where no one is left behind. That's correct. I deal with people who've died with no next of kin um, or they've got people who are family but they don't want to be involved right. could be estranged been estranged for years so you know they, they don't want to know what's going on um, most of my people come from the coroner's office or from care homes or people who have passed away on the streets at that stage I'll come in and I'll if it's Say it's somebody who's passed away in their, ho- their own home, then the coroner's office will give it to myself. I will go and search the property. At that stage, I'm looking for a will, an end-of-life plan, or just a notebook or an address book that will say something like, oh, Mary, and a phone number, and we've automatically got a contact. Um, then I will come to Pat's and Ryan, register the death, and go and arrange their funeral. This, if the people don't want to be involved, that's fine. But if they do, they can. You've experienced that, yeah. have you, when people yes. don't want to be involved? Yeah, people don't want to be involved. But if they do, you know, I can contact them right around, right through the process. They can be asked to give um, their contribution about this person's life, what they've done, what they worked as for the celebrant at the funeral. So we're not talking about somebody nobody knows. We're talking about somebody that, you know, you can speak about their life and how many children they had and, you know, they worked here and they done this and, you know, it's so 
they, they're involved all the way. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll still, even if they say they don't want to be involved, I'll still ring them and tell them when the service is. They then then make that decision if they want to turn up or they don't. Or they can go and do things in their own way. Yeah. Some you people know, some people, quite... Well, some people are abroad. And so they can go and on that day at that time, go for a meal. Or it could be their grandparents, it could be anything, they just can't get here. So they're not in a process. They haven't got the means to be here to arrange the funeral. So... Are people surprised when you tell them about your role that a city council provides this yes. service? Yes, very much so. Yeah, I've spoken to a guy today and he said to me, what do you do? But, you know, I said, well, this is what... And he was amazed. He said, I, I didn't know that service existed. And it does. And the thing is, it's become a more now. It's, it's doubled since I started doing it. It's doubled completely. And, you know, it's... Why do you think that is? Because more people are... I don't really know. They're living longer. Yeah, yeah. they are living longer. But I have to say I've had quite a few this year who have been young. The youngest was 31. You know, he took his own life. But he was from um, Romania. And we had his family came over, his mum. And his dad, and like you say, when people get hold of your hand, his mum couldn't speak a word of English. But they wanted to go to the flat where he lived, and this lad had a really good job. He wasn't on the streets, and he had a really good job. Um, and as we took, as I took them to the flat, and we walked up the stairs to get to the front door, she got hold of my hand, and I'll never forget that feeling, because you know. She couldn't speak a word of English. She couldn't ask me no questions. You, and she, you were just another woman. You were another mum at that time. Do you mean so? But I've had quite a lot. I've had really good experiences and I've had bad experiences. Mostly, I, everyone's appreciative. You know, and they'll say, I've had flowers sent to me to say thank you. And, you know, they wouldn't have found us if it hadn't been for you. And, you know, and so that's a really nice part of it. Yeah. You know. I have had one incident where a gentleman said we were not in butch. Uh, modern day grave robbers. <laughs> but, you know, he was getting given a lot of money at that time, so I don't know where he came, came up with that scenario. <laughs> Do your paths cross then a lot in your roles? Yes. Yeah, right, yes. certainly mine and yeah. Pam often to We see each other very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah, come in and do a number of registrations mm. and then, then obviously Pam's then got the paperwork she needs to go and sort out all the estate and the yeah. funeral and everything yeah. like that. So We were talking before we started recording this podcast, Pat, about the rising deathbed marriages we were talking yes. about. You just explain a little bit what they are and why we've seen a rise. Um... What they are is if somebody is coming towards the end of their life um, and they're not able to be moved to the register office or a church um, and they don't have enough time to wait the 28 days, which is the statutory waiting period between giving you legal notice and getting married, then there are special procedures that we can invoke. It's called a Registrar General's Licence. Um, we tend to see a spike in these if one's happened on a soap opera 
or uh, we same with with prison funeral, uh, prison uh, marriages as well. If there's been somebody on EastEnders who got married in prison, then we'll get a we'll get a batch of inquiries about it. We've had a recent spike following um, the Ken Dodd um, marriage that again was take, take, took place um, under these procedures as well. Sadly, um, in the last week, we have missed three. So we have got to the point where we've arranged the wedding and it's been too late. And we've not been able to go ahead with the wedding because they've not been either in a fit state to acknowledge the fact that they're getting married or in fact they've already passed away. Um, so, and all the stuff gets pulled out here. Don't absolutely, like absolutely. Uh, uh, none of these were, uh, yeah. it was to do with family saying, oh, I want to wait another couple of days because there's family coming or whatever. Didn't matter what was or the medical staff said to them and um, they were insistent on waiting and it didn't happen and that's three of those in the last week that's quite labour intensive for yeah. us as well because we literally do have to drop everything to do that um, and then we can't fulfil their wish at the end of it which is quite sad Another aspect of your role that's probably been introduced more recently is citizenship ceremonies Absolutely, this was actually this was an initiative by David Blunkett um, who had been to a citizenship ceremony in Australia, I believe it was, and he thought that was a really, really good idea and that we should do something similar. Here, well, of course, the Home Office's expertise is not in ceremonial duties, so it was looked across the board as, you know, who can provide these type of ceremonies? Oh, registrars do ceremonies, give it to them. So we're not actually involved in the application process at all. The Home Office still make all the decisions as to whether somebody can gain British citizenship or not. Um, but at the end of that process, they send us all their naturalisation certificates and we arrange a ceremony with them. Uh, all our ceremonies in Liverpool take place on Sundays um, in the Grand Jury Room. And we will normally have a local dignitary in, uh, in place as well, which is usually someone from the Lord Lieutenant's Office. Um, and they will actually present the certificate to them. A, uh, a deputy superintendent or superintendent registrar will perform the ceremony. And it's at that point where the citizen makes their oath and pledge to the Crown that they become British. So they actually walk in the door, one nationality, and they walk out of the door British. Do we still have an issue with people getting green cards and things like that, or is that... It's not on TV, we don't get, yeah. we no, don't get anything involved in that at all. We're literally just the nice end of it at the end. Yeah, we're not We, we still have it. to look out for things like sham marriage being used as an yes. immigration, yeah. like to get around immigration. Because just because if, you know, if you walk up to someone in the street and say, Do you want to get married? Do you notice in 28 days later get married? That's absolutely fine. But if, you've, if you're doing that to get around immigration law, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And it's changed now, hasn't it? Sort of, uh, well, they've tightened up an awful yeah. lot. Tightened up an awful lot. Because they used to arrest. Arrest here. Yeah. Used they? to come yeah. to. They used to come to the ceremony and arrest people. Always by prior notice, we would know in advance that this this operation was going to take place. But yeah, they would turn that the Home Office would turn up here, immigration officials, and actually cart off the the bride or the groom, whoever it was that they were interested in. If I'm honest, it was usually the groom. Um, <laughs> that's just yeah. the way it felt um, but they've tightened up procedures a lot more at their end now so that doesn't happen anymore but they do regularly investigate people who have given notice of marriage they can they have the legal power to extend the waiting period from 28 days to 70 while they make further investigations and if the couple 
don't comply with those investigations, even if there's actually nothing wrong, they're completely and utterly okay. If they don't comply with the investigations, the Home Office will actually stop the wedding, and they can do. They just inform us, no, we don't give authorisation for the for this couple. So that's that's regular. And we are a designated registrar office here in Liverpool. Not every registrar office in the country is, but we are designated to deal with people who are from outside the EU. How Brexit's going to affect that, we don't know yet. But at the moment, it's people from outside the EU that this applies to. Had any uh, dramatic events that you've ever seen during your time here, either of you? Oh, we've had a few, haven't we? we, we um, it wasn't me, but well, do you remember a uh, uh, registrar used to work here, Jan? She had a bride at one point who turned up and couldn't speak properly because she'd glued her teeth in and managed to glue her lips together at the same time, which was quite amusing. We all had to go and laugh at that one. Um, personally, I've had an owl flying up the aisle with the rings, and what happens when that happens? This It's usually a big surprise for all the guests. And this owl takes literally about eight and a half seconds to fly up the aisle and nobody knows what's happened. And there's usually some poor kid with his arm out at the end, shaking, waiting for this owl to land on it, which he did. And then the handler comes, picks the owl up, gives us the rings and scootles the owl out. So the whole thing is over in about 30 seconds. Only the handler ran off with the rings as well. So we had to send the best man after him to... to... <laughs> To, to get the rings. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a few tales that we. Uh, you got any Ryan that you? Um, not specifically in weddings, but the, the kind of often my wife will ask me things. You know, well, what's happened in work this weekend? And the kind of things like that run together really. You <laughs> yeah. know, in your mind, it's such a varied job. There's so many things that you you know in births and deaths and things that get said by people and are misinterpreted or anything yeah. like that. And mm. you, and you, you kind of because it happens so often, such a variety of things. You... I have such a variety of things. I I go into properties. I don't know what I'm going to find. Yeah. And you well, know, what sort of things? Oh, you can find everything. Well, my first know. job in the council, all those thirty-eight years ago that you happily pointed out for Sorry. me, there, Sarah. <laughs> I used to sit next to the then property officer, lady called Rita, and she used to regularly pitch up at the office either bringing things covered in fleas, so we'd have to get flipping, we'd all be scratching because she brought something covered in fleas. She brought a couple of budgies in a cage once. My friend Anne, she ended up with them, so she took those up. Rita herself got a little dog from somebody's house. She just used to pitch up at the office with, with all kinds of things. It was the most bizarre. So I don't know whether you still do that yet. No, no, we have, <laughs> we have a kennel and save. Yeah, Lisa just used yeah, to bring them into the office. Kennel so they normally, as I say, if mine's come from the coroner's office, the animals have been removed before I get there. But yeah. we have had them when, you know, but we have a kennel and saver, so they'll come and take the animals and we'll look for them to be rehomed at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've come back, back with fleas. Oh. Yeah, yeah, just to bring, I have bring fleas back with fleas. Yeah, yeah which, the most important thing for me to go on a search with is a tub of Vic. Because <laughs> you don't know what you're going into, and that thick, just put it under your nose, and that masks everything. Because they could have been deceased in that property for three weeks. It's not very nice. But I have the paper suit like CSI, your paper suit, and the mask, and the yeah. thick, and my shoe covers, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll all have to again. come yeah. back. Yeah. That's say any, anything we find has to come back to the office with me, and then be obviously um, itinerary made of what I've got, and and then it's also their bank accounts close the bank accounts immediately. Um, and anything else, the, the, the guest bill, the lecky bill, and all that, make sure that they know that they're deceased now so that can be cut off and whichever. But I brought quite a few things back. Just from listening to you, I take it your one bit of advice to people would be make your bill. That it, it's the one thing that I've done. Make a will or make people aware of what you want. It doesn't have to be a will. As long as you've written it down and you've got your signature on then make the will, especially if you don't want people to get things. If you've been estranged for X amount of years and you think, well, they're not getting my money, make sure you say who you want it to go to. You do find, actually, people who come in to register deaths, there's a great difference in sort of the, the level of distress, if you will, with people who come in and go, oh, yeah, they're all sorted. We know what they want. Yeah, they want a cremation. It's going to take place here. Got this all sorted. And they're all so relaxed about it whereas people who come in and they're like oh, I've no idea no idea what I've got I've got to try and find if they've got a will I've got to try and find out what they want for the funeral I don't know what music they're going to want and there's a, there's a great difference between I can't move at all until I've been a sage of the property because if I arranged a funeral and then we go in and then we find the will and they say we've cremated them and they've said they want to be buried at such and such and such with Auntie Mary. Yeah. That's where we would really, really get stung for a fine. But fortunately enough, we don't go down. The search is the main thing. So if somebody doesn't leave a will or, or their wishes written down and they've got a million quid in the bank, where does that million quid okay. go? Well, first of all... <laughs> um, we close the bank account down and nobody can go in it and whichever. Um, if there's no next of kin, we will, our bills will go to the bank. The bank will pay the funeral. They won't pay you nothing. They'll pay the funeral bill. We have a solicitor, the City Council solicitors, who will then take the case on and they will, through their own genealogists, look deeper into finding a next of kin. We've done this many a time. Um, and we will find family. We found a young girl and this guy who'd passed away, he lived in a care home, but he didn't have to live in a care home. He put himself there. He was very compassmentous and everything, but anyway, he passed away with no next of kin. So along the line, they found the niece of a cousin, the only person that was left. It was a young girl, single, with two little children. Anyway, she, and she was quite really just this girl. She said, I don't want it. I don't want no money. And they said, it goes to the Duchy of Lancaster at the end of the day. There's nobody, nothing, it goes to the Duchy of Lancaster. So this young girl was, you know, they would say, explaining to her, it's yours by right. So when they were looking through it, there was a £2,000 a month payment coming into this man's account. And that was for a property he owned, a big house that was rented out. Anyway, so at the end of the day, she decided she left the people in the property, so she was getting that rent. 
And she also had enough money to buy herself a little house and a car and give her two children a nice little life. All from somebody she didn't even meet. But otherwise it would have gone to the Dutch like I said. And it's nice to see that someone else gets a life and a family. You've all got really emotionally charged jobs. Yeah. yeah. Just as a final, how do you cope with that? You just learn to move on. The people that you're dealing with, they're not your family usually, they're not your friends usually. There are occasional ones that, that you know, we all know if we get a phone call at seven o'clock in the morning, the first thing you think of is who's dead and it's not necessarily a member of your family, it'll be a member of your friend's family or something and they want to know what to do. But you have to you have to learn to devote your attention completely to that customer while they're in front of you. And as soon as they walk out of the door, you go into the next one. That's, and the next one. And the next one. And it's the same whether it's a happy occasion and it's a wedding, or it's a sad occasion and it's a death registration. You've got to be able to just let your emotion walk out that door with them. Just, I don't know. Particularly for deaths, as a, um, it, it's, quite an, it's quite a nice thing to be able to get to the end of the registration and be able to go, there. that's everything you need there. That's the forms you need. That's the certificates I've done everything I can do in my job for you there's everything you can now go and do everything else you need to do and it's it's taking pride in making sure you've got it right as well I mean they, they're responsible as well for making sure what goes in the register is right but you don't want to see them back here for that reason you don't want to see them coming back in for for anything anything again that to do with the same thing exactly yeah and I think it's just nice to be able to go I know that there's three forms say I have to give out, I've given them out. So that's as much as I can possibly do in terms of my work. We're just um, a small part of their journey. Yeah. Um, from the hospital to us, to the funeral director, to the insurance company, to the bank. We're just a small part and we're just moving them along that journey. I unfortunately am the end of that journey. Yeah. <laughs> but I love my job. I love the fact that I have laid somebody amazed there final resting place as, as best as I could and there's, there's no one else to do it I've had people say to me but they had no next they, they had no next of kin and I say they had me that's me and I'm there to make sure that they are looked after oh it's so interesting thank you so much for being part of this podcast pleasure guys thank you that's the end of our podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you found it interesting. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Mersey Waves podcast and why not leave us a review? If you want to get in touch with us, maybe you've got some ideas for any topics you'd like us to cover, email hello at merseywaves.co.uk.